Welcome to What's Working in Washington on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Hi, I'm Jonathan Amberman. Welcome to What's Working in Washington, brought to you by Montgomery County Economic Development Corporation, MCEDC, helping companies start, grow, and accelerate business in Montgomery County. The future starts here. Go to thinkmoco.com today. Coming up... Uh, you know, back in the in the 60s, they talk all the time in the political world that people used to fight like cats and dogs across the aisle, but they would go out for a beer after, after uh, uh, Congress, and they would shake hands and figure out how to solve things. And we need to do that more not just on the political front, but even in business. People need to stop drawing a line in the sand. Uh, People just need to, again, build relationships and compromise. I also did a ton of research. I mean, knowledge is power beyond belief. Listening to podcasts, reading uh, about just various industries, and learning about other leaders who have maybe done this type of thing before. And again, just knowing it's okay to trip and fall and just, you know, somebody's going to pull you up. So what we're saying is we need to be much, much more intentional about helping our existing small businesses grow. We should be putting uh, uh, an existing business plan together for for every single economic development organization in in the region. Relationships matter a great deal to all of us. How they apply in business and how you grow your career and your network is something our next guest has a lot of expertise in, and I would say it drives his career. Ron Paul is the chairman and CEO of Eagle Bank. Really interested in talking with you about your life arc. It seems like a common part to all this is people just seem to matter to you. Well, first, thank you uh, for inviting me on the show. And uh, yes, to me, it's all about relationships. Uh, our tagline at Eagle Bank is Relationships First, and it was uh, designed by eight people at the bank that sat in a room and figured out what was the most important thing in our community and walked out without a marketing company involved, anybody else involved, and came up with the uh, the uh, tagline Relationships First. So, yes, it's something that I've uh, built my whole career around, and at the end of the day, to me, that's what matters, whether it's your family, whether it's a religious organization, giving back to the community, it's all about relationships. You know... When people tend to think about bankers, at least the stereotype is they tend to be very formalistic and somewhat removed people. Uh, I've seen you around town for a while. You didn't start out life as a banker. How how did you become a banker and how does this fit into your life arc? Well, actually, I started in 1980. uh, I was a bookkeeper for a small real estate company. Uh, Unfortunately, the uh, gentleman that I worked for passed away very suddenly. Um, interest rates were 19%, not a great time to be in the real estate business. And two years later, I went out and started my own real estate company uh, where I invest uh, in, in income-producing properties, office buildings, and apartment buildings. And basically uh, decided at that point that um, the world of banking was something that we just were losing sight of the word, again, relationships. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Bob Pincus, uh, who at the time was president of a bank called DC National, uh, who was uh, gracious enough to give me my first real estate loan. I had no money, no financial statement, but he looked me in the eye and said, you know what, I trust this guy, and uh, I'm going to make that loan, and he did. Uh, and I was very grateful for it. In 1987, I had the opportunity to uh, start a bank with a group of people um, in Prince George's County. They were looking for a real estate guy to go on the board, and I did. And again, just fell in love with banking because, again, just focused all about relationships. Back to the old-fashioned day of looking people in the eye, just like Bob did me, 
and said, you know what, I trust this guy and I believe that uh, he'll make it happen and he'll pay us back. So fast forward, uh, in 1998, um, I had an opportunity to start Eagle Bank with four other individuals and um, decided at that point that we were going to grow it organically. Uh, and, and that's what we've done. We're $7 billion now in size, have a tremendous number of relationships. Uh, even at $7 billion, our average size loan is only $2.2 million. So again, back to the word, same, uh, just a lot of relationships that we have. When you use the word relationships, I hear that word a lot. I mean, DC is, it seems everybody's got relationships, networking like crazy. My experience is a lot of people, when they talk about relationships, it's heavily transactional. What are you going to do for me if I do something for you? I don't get the impression that's what you're talking about when you talk about relationships, Ron. Jonathan, it's such an important part because relationships are not one way, they're two ways, but they don't have to have... A, a, a direct benefit. I mean, the benefit is that you've gotten to know somebody that you hopefully can help, whether it's my involvement with uh, uh, the Kidney Foundation and things that I'm involved in charitably. Uh, it's just a wonderful feeling building relationships for people that you can help and that they can help you. And however that, however that evolves, whether that's through financial benefits, health benefits, whatever the case may be, to me, it's a pretty cool thing to be able to just give back. Does it make you feel good? And why does it make you feel good? Well, at 61 years old, it makes me feel good because I've been very, very fortunate. Uh, I've had two kidney transplants. I had a kidney transplant in 1990. Uh, my brother donated the kidney. And it's, it's more than just a brother donating a kidney. It was a special relationship that I have with my brother, uh, my brother Stephen. And uh, fast forward 20 years later, I received a second transplant from the CFO of my real estate company, a partner, dearest friend, Kathy McCallum. Uh, and again, back to the relationship. This wasn't anything that uh, uh, any anything more than just they loved me and I loved them. And as a result of that, uh, that was the gift that they gave me to continue my life. So I'm going to go back in time. I'm imagining a, a young Ron Paul. And, and uh, when you were growing up, were you the were you the the star quarterback? Were you in the center of the the posse running around? Were you the caregiver? I mean, did you ever imagine you would be sitting where you're sitting right now? Boy, I feel like I should be lying down on a couch. Well, we could arrange uh, that if you want. <laughs> you know, I was always I was always somebody. My 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 wife Joy uh, teases me all the time that I was 40 years old before I was 20 years old. Uh, I was always active in nonprofits, whether it was in high school, uh, in college. Um, so the answer is yes. I was always that person that had that just fire in the belly to, to do whatever I, I did. I was captain of my soccer team throughout junior high school and high school. So I, it was certainly something that uh, I, I, I always strive to be the best leader I could be. Do you get the sense when you talk with people about relationships, doing business here, do you think people pay enough attention to the, the importance of empathy and business leadership? Great point. Uh, I, I spend a lot of time talking about leadership because I think leadership is a quality that not many people have, and, and they might have it in their belly. It just needs to be exploited. Uh, we, we don't have the leadership in every uh, aspect of our community, and, and candidly, whether it's the political scene or it's the business scene, and, and there's a lot of time that we spend uh, at Eagle Bank. I spend, we're affiliated with George Mason University, University of Maryland, uh, we have a, an internship mentoring program at the bank. And and to me, the, if there's anything that we could do in this country is to be able to help people becoming leaders. Not everything is done through the Internet. 
not everything is done through uh, uh, texting. That's not how you build relationships. And I think that one of the things that we've lost sight of in this country is that is that not everything is is, is should be done through uh, through through the internet. Uh, we we've got to continue to work to build relationships. Wonderful exploiting of efficiencies that 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 uh, technology does, and it's wonderful to be able to have that. But you're not going to build a relationship through texting. You, you've got to be able to pick up the phone. We have a, we have a, la- a line at uh, the bank that we really stick to, and that is, if you have to send an email that's more than three sentences, pick up the phone and talk about it because. We all know the the, the story of the the, uh, the emails that become uglier and uglier just because people don't know how to read an uh, uh, email. So, again, I, I just can't stress enough to your point uh, uh, that leadership is something that we need to play a lot more of a bigger role in this in this town. So from your position as somebody who sees the overall picture is a, a last thought from you. What does this region really need to succeed? I'm getting the impression that we need to listen to each other more. We need to listen to each other more, and we need to cooperate with each other more. Uh, you know, back in the in the 60s, they talk all the time in the political world that people used to fight like cats and dogs across the aisle, but they would go out for a beer after, after uh, uh, Congress, and they would shake hands and figure out how to solve things. And we need to do that more, not just on the political front, but even in business. People need to stop drawing a line in the sand. Uh, people just need to, again, build relationships and compromise uh, and and the more we build the relationships, the better off we're going to be. And that's, again, whether it's your family, whether it's your wife, whether it's your husband, uh, whatever the case may be, just continuing building those relationships, taking on leadership roles, giving back to the community. To me, that's what makes the individual uh, uh, different than the rest. Well, Ron, thanks for very much for giving us a real strong reminder that ultimately authenticity is what matters in life. Thank you very much again. Thanks for having me. guest is an experienced entrepreneur who's launched many businesses, an experienced blogger, and somebody who knows a lot about how you move through a career, Pamela Sorensen. Thanks for joining us, Pamela. I'll tell you, I've known you a while, and one thing that I think you've done exceptionally well in your career is is figure out how to reorient your career, move things forward, the so-called pivot. Right. Tell us a bit about what you're up to now and and how you're, you shaped your career over the last, last few years and going back in time. Do you have five hours? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I have seven minutes. <laughs> I'll make it as condensed as possible. So, you know, my, my background is primarily in business development and sales in a variety of different industries. I graduated from Penn State in 94, kind of fell into sales, IT, telecom, professional services, building this network in the Washington, D.C. area. And about, you know, I guess it was uh, 2006, I decided to start a blog. And that was one of the first blogs in this area. So it was new, um, fresh, kind of scary. And I just put all of my energy and my effort into it. I was I felt a little alone, but I did have a, a nice little network that began to form to help me and give me some guidance and some of the mentors there. Did that for about 10 years and and loved it. And then last year, it just hit me. I was flatlining. And I thought, if I'm going to go back 
and work for the man? What does that man look like? I mean, you know, figuratively. And what does yeah. that situation look like? And so what I did was sat back for a little bit and thought, what am, what am I really good at? What do I love to do? What type of experience have I had that I can kind of form what I really want to be able to do and make an impact in this world? And that's when, you know, I, I met up with Jim Kanifik, um, the founder of Better World, and I got back into sales and got back into working for an entrepreneurial type of company. So, you know, it, it's, it was a little bit difficult because I thought, how am I going to be able to be successful? How do I do this and not trip and fall? And I think one of the lessons that I've learned over the course of, you know, the past, well, I joined officially in January, is it's okay to trip and fall. It's okay to ask a thousand different questions. It's okay to have those moments when you're in the dark and you're crying. You're like, am I doing, did I do the right thing? But um, I think it's really important to have those those mentors and those guidance, um, those advisors around you to help you. I completely that. agree. You know, one of the things that's fascinating about when you are in part of the entrepreneurial ecosystem, as we both are, Everybody talks about pivoting, but very few people talk about the process. So you mentioned it's, it can be lonely, it can be scary. It's a very deeply personal experience. You were a professional, then you started Pamela's Punch, was a very successful blog, and then you became, as you say, working for the man. Talk to us about some of the ways that you personally went through the process of reorienting. You know, how do you how do you do it? How do you know when to do it, and how do you do it? Well, the other thing is, Jonathan, is people like to tell people like to give their advice, even if they don't. They're you know they're not inside my head. They right. haven't lived my life, but they want to give some advice and tell you you have to do this and you have to do this and if you want to be successful, you have to do this. And I think just being for me, it was just being really true to myself and knowing who I really am and just saying, okay, listen. I don't want to continue to, to develop what Pamela's Punch could be. I don't want to continue that business, no matter how many of the 10 people who have grown and built their own businesses have told me that's what I should do. It was just really about saying, okay, this is good for me. This is good for my future. This is where I need to be. So being true to myself and really also, you know, again, going back to like the some of the really good mentors and advisors that I've had around me for a long time, not only did I ask a little bit about that them from them for guidance but i also did a ton of research i mean knowledge is power beyond belief listening to podcasts listening to um reading uh, about just various industries and just very and learning about other leaders who have maybe done this type of thing before and again just knowing it's okay to trip and fall and just you know somebody's going to pull you up i think that's true i also think that many people say how do I know when I should pivot? And I'm interested what you tell them. I have had this come up many, many times over the past, I would say probably six months to a year. And the pivot isn't just about, okay, different industries or different roles, but a lot of them have been figuring out, do I want to go back from working for on my own to going back to working for a company or I'm working for a company and I'm trying to figure out if I want to go break off and go off, go on my own. Or change jobs. Or, yeah, company, change right? jobs. Exactly. And I think what, what I've told them is, well, one, when you know, you know. I mean, you just get to a point. It's kind of like when you break up with, a, with somebody. Like, you know, you get to a point. The pain point is so bad. It depends on what your pain threshold is. But if you're really self-aware and you know this is 
I've got to do something. I'm just, I'm unhealthy. I'm unhappy. I'm not being good to myself. It's a bad relationship with whatever it is. That is when you need to, you need to make a change. You need to make that pivot. You need to put that energy towards that pivot. But I think when you get to that point, it's kind of too late. So when you start to feel that, all right, I'm a little uncomfortable, but it isn't just uncomfortable because we all get to be uncomfortable in our roles and our profession, but it, it is, it's beginning to be like a, a, a pain prick that keeps happening over and over and over again. And nobody wants to die from a thousand paper cuts, but you're going to, you're going to have to be very self-aware and say, okay, now's the time to start to poke around and see what else is out there and figure out what I really want to do. So it's interesting to me that uh, I have often had people describe to me that it's a moment where they feel thwarted by life. <laughs> and you mentioned self-awareness. In addition to self-awareness, what are the other personal personality tools that we need to have in order to successfully pivot in our careers? Oh, personality tools. Uh, you got to have a thick skin. I really believe you have to have a thick skin. And I'm in sales, so I've developed a thick skin, even though, again, there are those moments when I'm like, ah, but, you know, that's because I'm a human being. Um, I think you have to have a, a, a curiosity, a real curiosity. You're No one is an expert in everything. And just admitting to yourself that you need to go out and ask a lot of questions. So just be very curious, just to be um, very, I, I guess, just open as well. And also, you know, I really think that you need to just learn as much as you possibly can and just through different just different um, platforms. So whether you're reading or whether you're watching or whether you're listening, knowledge is power and just to be open to that. Well, Pamela, thank you very much for taking some time to share all of uh, that knowledge and information with me and the rest of our, our listening audience. It was great to have you. Thank you. Pamela Sorensen, founder of Pamela's Punk. various discussions about how to grow the D.C. region's economy, the most obvious answer may in fact be in front of us. That's the message of our next guest, Bob Sweeney, Managing Director of the Global Cities Initiative. We're going to talk with him about D.C.'s greatest untapped opportunity, which is international trade. Bob, thanks for taking the time. Thanks, Jonathan. How are you doing today? I'm fine, and I'm happier because you're going to explain how we're going to get out of our doldrums and grow this economy. International trade isn't the first thing that comes to people's mind. Why should we be thinking about this? Well, that's a great question, Jonathan. And, and quite honestly, you know that Greater Washington is one of the largest and wealthiest regional economies in the world. But the region's economic growth has been markedly slowed down in recent years. We're an economy of 6 million people. We have $400 billion economic footprint. The federal government accounts for 38% Even of Even with footprint. all the work that's been done over the years about diversification, there's still 38%. $150 billion from the federal government. And when sequestration hits, our economy needs to figure out how to pivot. Because when sequestration hits, the government stops spending money. Or, as is, even if there's not sequestration, there are currently plans to shrink the staffing at the EPA, for example, and various other federal agencies. Undoubtedly, the government sector is going to shrink. We have a lot of great companies here, but why focus on international trade? So, uh, it's almost like you wrote my script with that question. That is exactly the right question to ask. Rumor and has it good interviewers do that. <laughs> but anyway. 
Over the next five years, 86% of global economic growth is projected to occur outside of the United States. China, Brazil, India, Think Europe, about it. Right. Every place. Our region is terrible. Terrible. Terrible at uh, global trade, at exports. Give me We're an example. international city that is terrible at doing business internationally. Bob, you, you were involved in the Olympic bid. You've been involved in international trade for years. Give me, let me how let, terrible let me, is terrible? In the United States, we rank 95 out of the top 100 metro areas. We do $26 billion in economic development. Twenty-six. Uh, we do about $22 billion of that as services. But we also do things like make keyboards in Prince George's County for the biotech industry. We make beer in Frederick County, Maryland. And let me tell you a really cool story about a guy in Fairfax County named Joe Fluitt. Joe runs a company called Mag Aviation. Mag, 300 employees, hit by sequestration in 2010, dropped down to 100 employees, 66% of its workforce gone. Uh He basically tripped over a Virginia Economic Development Partnership person focused on exports in the airport, and the guy said, hey, you got a product that we could sell overseas. And he's like, what are you talking about? Sure enough, after about six months, this was in 2010, Joe kind of got his first sale in France at the Paris Airshore, where he went with the Virginia Economic Development Partnership, who introduced him to a lot of people internationally. That guy, Joe, who went from 300 to 100, now has 1,500 employees, 40% of his $50 billion company. I mean, $50 million company is all international trade. So what I'm hearing you say is that from the standpoint of aggregate numbers, you use the word terrible. And if I hear that this region is 95 out of 100 regions in in the country for exports, that qualifies as terrible. I agree with you. But now you've given me a couple of examples of people who are successfully. What we need to do is create 100 more Joes and then 100 more Joes. And we can do it. We know that our marketplace has over 3,500 companies that are small to mid-size that should be exporting but are not. Because in the past, the federal government has been too fat and too good of a customer that you don't really look beyond your big customer who has the big checkbook. So what we're saying is we need to be much, much more intentional about helping our existing small businesses grow. We should be putting uh, uh, an existing business plan together for for every single economic development organization in the in the region because you mentioned uh vdp you know virginia economic development and this, your your friend joe tripping I, I i have this image of somebody falling over someone at the airport oh what do you do oh, what economic do you development. but virginia has maryland has a dc they every jurisdiction is this just a function of getting our our government economic development folks better connected with our entrepreneurs or is there something bigger we need to be doing i, I think it's something bigger than than that because i Honestly, uh, at the state level and even the county level, um, many of the organizations are doing a pretty good job of connecting their people. Uh, certainly, Virginia Economic Development Partnership is considered one of the top uh, international ec- economic development organizations in the country. Um, but what we haven't done is created this ecosystem that supports the entrepreneurs in their efforts to export. That's kind of the key. We need to create a place where 
it's like a one-stop shop almost. I, I, I don't know what to call it, but yeah. it's like a one-stop shop where these entrepreneurs and these people who could export can go get technical assistance, know-how, network with existing exporters. It is a complicated road that you will give up on after six months if you can't figure it out. And you need that support system in order to kind of get over the hump. Let me tell you just one quick antidote, and that is I did a uh, market research study with over uh, 30 CEOs of companies, mid-sized companies that export in our region. Not one said they would ever go back to not exporting. They've all grown their, they've all, they're all a bunch of Joes. They've all grown their their revenue, and they've, they've created um, many more jobs. For every billion dollars in exports, 6,000 new jobs to this region. So listening to this and to talking with you, I know you're very connected. You talk to a lot of folks in town. Should we anticipate or expect that there's going to be a coordinated effort to solve this problem soon? Yeah, I think right now a bunch of business leaders, ac academic leaders, institutional partners are, are talking about this issue. This is low-hanging fruit for our region to help um, grow our region. And so we need to figure out how to take advantage of those low-hanging fruit. Well, it's going to be great to watch your progress, Bob. And as always, you're in the middle of interesting things and driving the conversation. I'm glad you've decided to put, focus your attention on this important issue. Where do we get more revenue into local businesses? That's Bob Sweeney, the Managing Director of the Global Cities Initiative, joining us. Thank you very much, Jonathan. That's our show for this week. A special thanks to our sponsor, Eagle Bank. How do you get to be number one in the D.C. area? Eagle Bank did it by putting relationships first. They're flexible, involved, responsive, strong, and trusted. Eagle Bank's goal is your success. And you've been listening to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. My producer is Tracy Madigan. And as you know, this show is about promoting why Washington, D.C. is a great place to do business and why it is a great place to be an entrepreneur and innovator. You know, our town is a lot more than government. There are a lot of opportunities here. Over the last couple months, there have been a number of billion-dollar business sales. Many other people have sold and grown businesses. Companies have raised money. New businesses have started. Maybe you've been to a new restaurant this week. It's all entrepreneurship, social entrepreneurship doing things in a new way to solve needs. These are the kind of things that happened in a really unique way in the greater Washington region. That's what this show, What's Working in Washington, is about. But it's only as good as you and your participation. So if you've got an idea for somebody that we should be talking with, let us know. Tweet us at, at What's Working DC and let us know that there's a story out there that needs to be told. Our online contributors are Michael Hoffman, Barbara Ulrich, and Candace Pye. Music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room, and The Sunbathers. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Until next time, goodbye. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington. Download this show or any of our weekly programs at federalnewsradio.com. What's Working in Washington, Monday afternoons at 2.30 on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m. 